And from my experience, I try not to buy something too much, which means I don't overexert myself mm. so that I'm paying off and I'm beholden to the mortgage, which therefore means I'm beholden to the paycheck. So I try and do something within my means. Best way for me is to find out what the mortgage I could get. So I went to DBS, I went to HDB, and I found out with my salary, I could get somewhere around 300000 in the form of mortgage. So I was like, okay, cool. That's a good start. Uh, but immediately, you already know, uh, condos are out, landed probably out. <laughs> Actually, I do think for many of us, this will be the situation. I mean, not many are choosing between condo HDB in our first property purchase, let alone a landed property. Okay, okay, uh, maybe... Just maybe it will be me, you know? I will list TFC in the stock market or tokenize our episodes, NFT my face, so that I can buy, <laughs> I can eventually buy a GCB. Huh? So people, look out for Reggie. Huh? Look out, look out. <laughs> and for that to happen, you got to like, share, subscribe. We need more listeners and more sponsors. With that, I welcome you back to Season 2 of Coconut Avenue, which is sponsored by Mortgage Master. They're a mortgage broker in Singapore with access to the lowest unpublished housing loan rates offered by the banks and financial institutions. Check them out at mortgagemaster.com.sg. Thank you for helping Reggie inch closer to uh, Nasim Drive, huh? GCB. <laughs> But yes, clearly, Coconuts, you can tell that I'm having a lot of fun in today's episode because I believe we have already covered most of the big ideas that matters in your first property purchase. In today's episode, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about interior design. Yes, guys, we're going to use audio to talk about interior design. As with some of the best audio creators, they say audio is actually a visual content. As I speak to you, you will imagine and there'll be pictures that pop up in your head. So yes, I'm going to push the boundaries today to talk a little bit about interior design with a great friend of the show. And as I spent time with my guest today, we eventually broke into the taboo topic of living on level two. I mean, a lot of us, we don't even entertain. Huh? Level five, level six is like, ah, so low. Let alone level two, which is why a lot of flats are a lot cheaper. And yes, I'm very happy that he actually bought a flat on level 2 and we can actually have that discussion. How does it feel like staying on level 2? So allow me to introduce you to Rakesh from TFC Stock Geeko. You should check out their podcast. I give them follow, 5-star rating, share, huh? and help Reggie buy Nasim Drive GCB. Huh? <laughs> so he came on the show to spend time with me to talk a little bit about his property purchase, the idea of a home and his retirement plan. So yes, a little bit more about Rakesh. Right, so I went to school, like, like most of us. Uh, went to uni. Actually, you know, the, the most interesting thing is that in uni, I studied finance economics, um, which was a bit different because in high school, I studied computer science. So I was going to be an engineer, a computer scientist, but then I had a really good economics teacher and then these sort of things change. So my perception of life actually changed a fair bit in uni, right? And I think that is, is really the start of this conversation as opposed to planning for retirement and finances and so on. Um, I started off uh, over in, in PwC. That was my first job. I was lucky enough to get in. And then soon, soon right now, in, in a startup space. So I found out that you know accounting really wasn't for me. Um, and I wanted to try something new, always keep going, 
Uh, and and I think that's where I am today, right? Always trying something new, always happy to try something new. And that's how TFC started as well, right? With me yep. joining on. Yep. So, yeah. All the crazy people on the team. Yes, yes. I mean, yeah, we're all trying to make it work. So. Yeah, I mean, we must be pretty crazy to be doing this at such a level, especially when podcasting isn't exactly the most capitalized or wealthy space at this point in time. But shout out to all of you making this happen together with us. On the story, Rakesh has a spouse that has a foreign status. I find it very weird to call people foreigners uh, when we all live on an island. (laughs) But yes, the whole mortgage is in his name and the HDB is also in his name. The wife is only recorded within the system as an occupier. So they actually fall under the non-citizen spouse scheme. There are many different schemes within the HDB ecosystem, but they mostly require you to be in a family nucleus a man and a woman or some form of blood relationship, mother, son, grandparents, child, siblings. There are many permutations, but the fundamental difference is the grants offered and the type of flats you get access to. I will not dabble in them here. Just check out HDB's website and ask them directly. It is very simple. But I just want to use the platform again to say, maybe it's time we kind of revisit this whole single situation as more and more young people are marrying later and have uh, different ways of setting up families. Okay, so shout out to HDB. I hope you revisit your family nucleus idea. As for Rakesh's property journey, I would say it's pretty typical. Most people will think like him. It always starts with this question. How much do I have in my bank? What can I afford? So... That's effectively what we did. We then sat down, me and my wife, and we said, okay, where do we want to live, right? And we said we want, number one, our biggest priority is that we needed to be close to a train station. Mm. That's number one. Number two, we didn't want to stay too far out in your Tuachukang, in your Bukit Panjang, in your woodlands, in your Sambawang. And hear this out. We actually took the tube map of the circle line And we said, I want to be within or near to the circle line (laughs) or anything inside. (laughs) Okay, okay. Have have you heard something like this before, Reg? Or uh, first time? (laughs) I have not. I've not seen anybody take the circle line and say, okay, this is the circle. We want to be around the circle. Anything further? (laughs) Meh. But yes, yes. I do know know Mating and Simon, they bought a house in uh, Marymount area. Right, so so that right. is right smack on the circle line. They are very central, you know, by by all sorts of very definition. Good. But I've I've never heard anyone said that. Oh, okay, we're gonna take a map and everything has to be referenced to this circle. <laughs> but yeah, you're the first. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's what we did, and and the main reason is because we didn't want to stay too far away from town. Okay, I'm sure for many young vibrant couples, no one really wants to stay too far from town. But hey. To be fair, Sambawang, Woodlands, Katit, right? All my friends in the north, your town is Johor Bahru, right? <laughs> it's a different situation altogether. And I know, I know, I am from Tampines. I grew up in Tampines. And I would say people in Tampines stay in Tampines. They don't even want to go out. So I would say on top of this childhood familiarity, your neighborhood, your friends that you've gathered over time, it really boils down to how much you can afford. And given the set of resources, what are your goals? Are you just trying to get a home or must there be capital appreciation? We have explored all of that. You get the point. 
so yeah, so we took the circle line and then we went on 99 Co, Property Guru, whatever you have you, asked friends, hey, how much does this place cost? How much does that place cost? So on and so forth. Now we knew we wanted a big space, as I mentioned. So we were looking at five room, uh, at least a thousand, a thousand square feet, right? Three bedrooms, so on and so forth. But when we put in 400,000 in the 99 Co and Property Guru, six houses showed up. Again, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this like it's some sort of movie. It isn't. These decisions were made for me. <laughs> <laughs> so six houses showed up and guess what? All in one cluster in Haogang, right? Oh, so <laughs> interesting. That was, that was, that, that's effectively it. So we looked at six houses in this area, all within uh, 100 meters, I think 200 meters from each other. Mm-hmm. And we picked one. Of course, I think good to note that the highest floor that we ever saw was the fourth floor. Every other house was second and third floor. I don't know about you, but I'm quite sure Bangkok is not within the circle line. But okay, I get the whole long commute discussion. No one really wants to stay at the edges. But hey, as a lifelong East Sider, I have a strategy for you. Right. I don't know if, if this is true for you, Reg, but a lot of my friends who stay in Woodlands in Sambang, if they are in town at 10, they're like, it'll take me an hour and a half to go home. I'm taking a cab. Mm. And we didn't want that. Mm. We said, instead of doing all that, we're going to collate all that money, put it in the property. Mm, fair, fair. I've never, I've never, okay, I, I've definitely felt that feeling before uh, because my family used yeah. to stay in Tampines, right? So, right. But, I, but I took the other way. So I don't leave Tampines. So- <laughs> So, right. <laughs> so I, I ask everybody come come to Tampines, come to Bedok, right? Hey, let's go Katong, you know, everything in the east, right? East side, best side, right? So, so then then it didn't become a problem. It's not my problem. I'm not in town, right? But I know I know exactly right. the feeling. 10 p.m. You're in Raffles, you're in City Hall, you're in Clarky, you know, mm. and then you'll be like, okay, guys, uh, we're gonna go back, and I'll be like, oh my goodness, one and a half hours to get home. <laughs> okay, okay, huh? I have to say, it didn't always work. I used to think like, Ayo, all these people, why don't they want to come to Tampines? Tampines so bad, eh? It was only after I stayed in Lorong Chuan that I vividly recognised, yeah, Tampines was the issue. <laughs> it's very far, it's enclave of its own. So yes, since then, I stopped judging people for judging Tampines. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> and I get it why a lot of people want to stay in town or close to town, depending on the resources that you have. Which is why I believe it would be great if you could experience your neighbourhood before buying in that area. Renting for a year or two should become more trendy as you explore towards living with your partner and also figuring if that area is a place you want to call home. Some people will think, yeah, why want to waste money? You know, renting in Singapore is very expensive. Yes, I don't deny renting in Singapore is not the cheapest thing. But I would say, why are you so sure you're going to marry this person and settle in on a family nucleus if you've not lived together? It's one thing. And the other thing is, hey, it's actually very expensive also to buy a house. Huh? So if you can explore the neighborhood that you eventually want to live in, hey, why not? There is also another interesting thing about Rakesh's property. He actually bought a HDB on level 2, which is an almost immediate strike-off by most. Somehow, no one wants to stay on level 2. So I had to ask him his experience, the good, the bad. How is it like staying on level 2? So these were sort of the decisions that we made to buy our home. 
Um, so the location was chosen for me. <laughs> the floor was chosen for me. Now the next one, we could not afford a five room, unfortunately, right? Mm. So the six houses were all four A's, which was good, mm. right? Um, I also should state that we could not buy a BTO or a SOB, which is a sale of balance, not the other thing. Okay. <laughs> yes, yeah, so four A. And the reason we couldn't, I couldn't buy a BTO or a SOB is because uh, I married a foreigner. So for that reason, she can't actually be on the lease. She can't be an owner. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that I could afford was a resale. Not even afford, but the only thing I could buy HDB-wise was resale. Okay. Which means the full the house is fully under me. Mortgage is fully under me. She's just labeled as an occupant. Mm. Right? Which obviously tells you why, you know, the everything else was chosen for me because our salary was effectively cut in half. Yeah. Effectively, it doesn't matter, right? How much she makes because you're the only one taking the whole mortgage for this. Okay. Uh, actually, it does matter how much she makes. So we had, uh, to a certain extent, the two negatives or the, the, the back end of the stick, whatever you want to call it, because we wanted grants or I wanted grants. But in order to qualify for the grants, they still took your nucleus. So me mm. and my wife had to earn under 12K a month in order to qualify for the first homeowner's grant. Mm. Of course, we did. And then I managed to get my half of the grant, which was 25 grand. Yeah, so back to 4A. So 4A, uh, and we saw corridor units. We saw a couple of corner units. And the reason we chose this was because, firstly, it's on the second floor, although we didn't have a choice there. But we didn't overlook another person's apartment. So if you look on both sides of my windows, I'm looking at a park on one side and a little bit of a car park on the other side. So it's actually quite clear, and it creates a really nice draft as you're going Mm -hmm. through. So that's one of the things I look at. The size is a very big one as well. So it was 1,100 square feet, 4A resale. And the walls were really nice. So they were all brick walls. <laughs> Whereas now if you buy a BTO, only the, the two corners are your brick walls and the middles are all boards, right? If I'm not mistaken. And last but not least, I only have two neighbors mm. in the whole floor, which is really quiet, really nice, right? And, and it turns out it's a Singaporean floor. So I'm, uh, we have a Chinese neighbor, Malay neighbor and I'm considered other, right? <laughs> Indian slash other. <laughs> Indian slash other. What the? Okay. 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 I mean, I have, a, I have a random thought. Like, how is it like staying on level two? You know, there's a general disdain mm. for low levels, right? But by the way, I just want to give you, let you guys know that uh, you'll be surprised. The higher you live, the louder the sound gets to you, right? So, so sound actually amplifies, oh. you know, um, as you live higher and higher. Yeah, so it's, it's a very interesting situation. Right. Of course, it's not all buildings. So if you live very far away from the road, of course, lah, you know, but but I, I used to live in a 21... 21st floor apartment in Malaysia And I was like I'm so far Mm. away from the road Why is it so noisy? And I went to research Apparently The higher up you move Up to At a certain level Sound starts to amplify So it gets noisier 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 Moving up Yeah So level 2 actually Is a great place for You know The lack of sound For sound wise Yeah for sound Yes so I didn't know this Okay cool Maybe that's why it's quiet right I should ask my neighbour On the 12th floor Hey quiet Yeah 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 I think that the the most unbiased answer is that there are positives and negatives, right? So oh, oh, you have to so weigh out, and that's not what you people have to weigh out hear. which one you want. 
<laughs> people want to hear your experience like you what do you think is good what do you think is not good uh, yeah. yeah don't give vanilla general right. answers uh, yes vanilla <laughs> start with disclaimer first yeah, start yeah, with disclaimer, disclaimer. Okay. okay yes right. yes yes best thing that I love I don't even need to use the lift amazing I save so much time Pressing that button and waiting like what 30 seconds, one minute, sometimes up to five minutes for a lift. Mm. If you're on the 20th floor, I'm sure you can you can attest that this is painful. Yeah, there's three lifts that takes up 20 something floors of people. That's crazy. Have you not seen at the I mean you used to work at PWC, right? Have you not seen the PWC building? You know, it's like yeah. people, I'm like, my goodness. I was downstairs waiting for my friend for lunch. I was like, I'm here. My friend's like, okay, I'm coming. 15 minutes later, finally I see a person appear. Like, Why so long? So, oh, yeah, it's like that one, uh, the leaf, uh, going for lunch. Uh, you know, like the like the Always like this. <laughs> always like that. I was like, my goodness. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. It's it's I think that's one of the best things I love. I love about staying on the second floor. Mm. Close second is the water pressure. So I, I don't know if, if, if you know, but the first four floors are pumped up by tubes. So it's piped in to your HDB. Anything oh. above the fourth floor comes from the tank up top. So you've effectively shared water pressure from the tank. Uh, but the first four floors of every HDB is pumped. So amazing water pressure, <laughs> oh my taking god. a lovely shower, whatever you want. <laughs> oh my god, that's like, oh my god, rain shower, man. Like actually, That's right, actually, I have a <laughs> yeah. yeah, actually, good showers. Oh my, okay. So property agents are gonna plug this thing and and start selling it. You know, <laughs> level two to level four has very high pressure. You know, for like good rain showers. Huh? Okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I can attest to this because because my uh, my dad's on the fifth floor. Of his mm. of his home in the HDB, and his water pressure is crap compared to mine. <laughs> He's probably the worst, right? So, yeah. Because from the water tank, yeah, people share so. all the way. Level five is like the last guy to to get water from the tank. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so everybody listening, yeah, uh, you absolutely. got a you got a good tip, you know, from someone that lives, you know, within the <laughs> flat, right? Okay, great, great, great. What what else? What else? Yeah. What other interesting stuff? Um, yeah, I think those are the, the really, really good ones. That's the one I really like. If I forget something, I, I uh, run down and I ask my wife to throw it. That's always <laughs> that's always a good one. <laughs> hey, I forgot my EasyLink card. Hey, you can pass me my specs. It's <laughs> catch. <laughs> but what, what so is these, what are, is, these what, are good ones? What is not yeah, what are what are what are like the negatives then? Then staying in level two. Of course. Uh there's always negatives. Number one, my shoot is inside the house. Mm. Right? So that's not I can't really call that a negative because all resale HDBs, the shoots are inside. But the downside is you're going to get cockroaches. So we don't actually use our chute. So we've sealed it completely so that the roaches can't come in. And I actually walk out of my house and dump it downstairs every night to throw my rubbish. Right? Okay. I wouldn't say a lot of cockroaches. Um, right? They usually just come up during even fogging. And, and during the fogging, no matter how much you tape, they can still come through. So that's what I would say. Really? Negatives, how do they even come through when you afraid. taped it? I don't know. Exactly. Mm. I don't know how, but it's the small ones that come through, not the big ones. But the small ones can still scroll through all the masking tape and your black tape and, and whatever else. Maybe uh, which is insane. Wow, it's crazy. Yeah. Crazy, um, crazy, crazy. Correct. So that's, okay. that's one negative. Number two, mm. when they come in to um, take the trash out of that one small chute, you can smell it because it's probably in your kitchen. So that's number two. That's one of the negatives. What I do is I close the window, then it gets a lot better. And number one, to solve cockroaches, I actually hire a pest control. It's something like 500 a year. 
they come in every two months and spray my house and check it out. So I found that as a really good, um, really good way to, to solve for cockroaches. Cool. Number cool, three, okay. mm. um, bad things, flies and mosquitoes. So I close my windows by sunset because mm. at around seven o'clock, this mosquitoes breeding time. So they mm. want to come into the home, find something warm and they find me. So I'm not mm. happy about that. <laughs> mm. So by, by, by sunset, I have to close my windows uh, and then I just turn on the fan. Okay, great. Yep. So I would say these three are the, these three are the negative ones. I can't say any, I've, I've uh, noticed any other negatives besides mm. that. So there you go, coconuts. I can foresee the next wave of YouTube ads. It goes like this. One, the strongest rain shower as if you are holidaying in Bali. Check out the latest property insights. Click here for more. <laughs> but yes, nothing like a personal experience shared on air. I hope that gives you more colour instead of conveniently striking off the lower floors. Rakesh's home is pretty nice, right next to a park with a garden view. So yeah, I think a lot of his friends open up to the idea of buying lower levels after visiting his place and experiencing it. I'm not saying there's an open house, don't go, but I must say he has done quite a lot of renovation to his place. I know this is a podcast, it's an audio format, but hey, audio is also visual, so let your imagination run. So I think maybe you can Thanks, give man. us a little bit of colour on renovation. Right, I think that's that's the part mm. that you know we we didn't really discuss with our other guest, and you have it very nicely renovated. It would be great, right, if you could offer us um, some pictures of your house so that we can put on our socials when we publish this episode. You know, so that people get color. What do I mean by it's a very nice place, right? So I and and the thing is, I see that your house there's a lot of fixtures, you know, on top of furnitures, right? So, yeah, it's quite well designed and all that in my view right so i just want to kind of hear your view of like what what was your viewpoint on renovating this the space and all that yeah uh, you know i think firstly thanks for for saying those nice things sure i charge per photo yeah. by the way so no problem i get <laughs> some across <laughs> <laughs> but we 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 were actually, we were thinking of using your place for a scent. So yes, yes, you we, can yes, charge yes. us per hour. You can charge us per hour. Yeah, yeah, we can discuss accordingly. Yes, yes. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yes, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, coming back down to it, um, I think one of the things, of course, we talked about the surrounding area so far. We talked about living on the second floor, positives, negatives. We didn't really talk about what's inside the home. Mm. Um, and I think one of the things that we really wanted was to make sure that we do not have any wasted space. So I think I want to caveat this by I am effectively we bought our own interior designers. We just hired a contractor and we did. Right. We of course I spoke with the contractor. Here's my plan. I drew it out on a piece of paper. The contractor helped so much. Um, but I did not actually hire an ID. And in my home, because it's a corner unit, it's very, very well built, the older HDBs, corner units, that you can do stuff that you do not get wasted space. Right? So when we got this home. It was a trash dump. I'll be completely honest with you. Every wall was a different color. It was yellow, orange, green. The I swear to God, the kitchen has not been changed in 27 years. The toilet has not been changed in 27 years. It's one of them, right? Run down. Uh, they weren't even living in it. They were living at their, at their brother-in-law's or their uncle's uh, in a different apartment and we're actually just renting this place out. So yes, so what we did was we're going to strip it down and build it roots up. Now, one of, the, one of the things that we had to make sure to have, and when we bought this place, was that it was a massively long corridor. 
right? And you, you'll see, you'll be able to see in the photos that I'll, I'll send across soon. So when you open the door, you have to take somewhere around 15 to, to 16 steps before you actually get to the living room. Okay, maybe 15 sounds like as though I, I live in some Taj Mahal. No, I don't. Okay, maybe five to 10 steps. I love how, I love how Taj Mahal room. was your reference, by the way. So I'm uh, living in Taj Mahal. It's like, <laughs> well, very ethnically driven. Huh? Yes, yes, please continue the discussion. Yes, yes. I only can talk about my race, right? So. Yeah, yeah, that's why, that's why. Don't use my great wall, okay? Yeah, anyway, continue, continue. <laughs> um, yeah. So... You have to walk down this tiny alleyway, which you couldn't do anything on, except maybe put two photos on the side. And uh, think of it as like, you know, the hotel corridors and you had doors on each side. Yeah, that's effectively how it was until you hit the living room. Complete wasted space. But then we found out that on the other side of the wall was my kitchen. Mm. So instead of entering the kitchen through the living room, can we whack that wall down and enter it via this hallway? Effectively, you created one. So this enabled me to make the living room seem bigger than it actually is, right? Because now you don't need to walk into the living room to then walk back into the kitchen. Kitchen's completely separate. Another cool thing that, that we wanted to make sure was that we could air condition this living room. So that, that worked in perfectly well with the hallway because you only need to close that small door. So we created a door in our hallway so that when you close it, you can actually then uh, air condition the living room while not air conditioning the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, so those were certain things that we thought about when, when renovating. Last but not least, we wanted privacy in our bedroom and specifically the master bedroom. So in older HTBs, uh, as I'm sure you know, Reg and, and our listeners out there will know, is that the doors open into the living room, right? All three doors yes. uh, or, or any of the room doors. So we wanted to create a small, small corridor so that we can create sort of a private area for me and my wife. The good news is because we bought a resale HTB, we had big rooms. And I mean, you can put a king size in there together with a built-in wardrobe with a 1.5 meter desk and you can still walk around, which you can't really save so much in our current HDBs and current condos. So (laughs) the good news for that is we broke down one of the walls on the spare room, the study room as we call it, to build that corridor. Now, what this enabled us to do was to move the master bedroom door instead of it facing the living room, but to face the corridor. Again, you'll see it in the the, the pictures. (laughs) Now... The positive thing about that is, number one, privacy. Number two, we can now build in a walk-in wardrobe in our master bedroom that then leads into the ensuite. So this was good. A small, small walk-in wardrobe, which was enough for my wife and I. The negative thing about building this corridor is that your room is now oddly shaped, right? Because you have to take a certain part of the room, that's that study room that we spoke about, in order to create this corridor to build your privacy. So this was one of the things that we were okay with because we labeled that as a study. We just made sure to, and this is where I'm sitting at, by the way, now, (laughs) um, to make sure that we had enough to put a table. So this L-shaped room will now be a small corridor that will then move into this study that allowed me to create a table so I can work out of this. Mm, That makes sense. I was like, why why your room so weird? You have this one weird room, which is the L-shaped room. Yeah. I was like, HGB built like that, man? Okay, so you actually actually yeah. changed something around that. Yeah. I have a friend yes. who bought a HDB in Bishan, level two also. Um, mm. He merged two rooms together so into his bedroom. So I was like, what mm. the hell? You crazy boy. But yeah, yeah, it, it made his room huge. Yeah, so it's real, real wow. fun, real fun. Yeah, cool. That's I mean, a really all the big young room. People, 
Definitely, and I mean it's a it's a it's a it's a young people thing. We're 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 marrying later, you know. We're having kids later, and uh, it also means that by the time we actually set up our family or we get our houses, we already are in a better financial situation. So we have more, you know, finances. I mean, a decade more finances relative to the older generations that married at twenty, right, or have kids at twenty two or twenty three. So you have a decade more resources, so people start to do crazy things like merge two rooms together into one room, lah, right? And then it's like, because you know, it's just you and your wife, you and your partner for like however long, right? And uh, so yes. I think I think those are new phenomenons, you know, in the property space in Singapore. I want to caveat that I know property prices are much higher these days, and many of us are feeling like we are being priced out. So if you fall into that group, I get it. It is a social issue and an ongoing challenge. We should keep that discussion going, but that's not for today. As for the many that will be able to get your HDB with relative ease, I want to caution this idea of a one-time good one. A lot of people think like that. They want to spend a bomb on renovation, and to them, it is a one-time, one-time only. In my view, life is progressive and you will and you want to keep adjusting your space as you move along. So you don't need to spend a bomb and make this space the best, the most amazing while stretching your finances extremely thin. As you move along on your personal finance journey, you can and you will keep improving your home. Small furnitures, small renovations can be accumulated alongside your finances. So I would say maybe it is a good time for us to move away from this one-time good one idea. Don't overindulge in zero interest installment plans, excessive renovation loans, or the whole buy now pay later phenomenon. Easy credit for consumption can snowball into becoming quite a big problem for you. Let your home grow with you. Keep improving it. As for Rakesh's place, I'm not sure if he will be sending me the photos, but if you want to see the place, visual aid for your imagination, you must follow our socials, Instagram, Facebook, you know, whatever you. But through this conversation with him, you will realize that, hey, he did spend quite a bit. And given that he is a sole owner of the mortgage, I believe he emptied his CPF for this first property. So yep, I had to ask his perspective on this idea. So I think let's start off with the purchase price. Purchase price was three hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars, right? Uh, my salary at that point in time was four k, four thousand dollars a month. The loan came back from DBS saying they could only give two hundred fifty thousand dollars with regards to mortgage. Uh, HDB came back somewhere around two eighty to two ninety. So that's where it was. Uh, just like I said earlier in this this episode, that all, most of these decisions were kind of made for me. So we obviously went with HDB, knowing that the quantum was a lot more and we could afford this home because we didn't have the remainder in savings. And the negative bit is that we had to pay 2.6% in interest rate. Mm. Of course, DBS would have been less. But our goals were short term, which is I want the home first. Mm. And the difference in interest rates doesn't really matter because that's not my priority. Because either way, if I don't buy a home, I got to pay rent. So <laughs> it negates, right? Completely does not matter. In my CPF, I had somewhere around $50,000, 50-something. 50 mm. Plus the grant, which obviously goes into your CPF, we got $75,000. All of it was used. Every single bit was used. And we still mm. had to top up 20 k in cash. 
Okay. okay. Somewhere around there, just as a ballpark figure. Mm-hmm. And then we got the rest in mortgage. So what what are your thoughts on emptying CPF then? Because there's this discussion out there about like, ah, oh, you know, maybe you shouldn't empty your CPF, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, why? I, I, I honestly cannot comprehend why you should not empty your CPF. Mm. Um, and, and, and the reason for me is this, right? It's, for me, it's time value of money. It's money you can't touch. But actually, you can in your way if you, CPF IS, which is an investment scheme, don't really believe in mm. that, or your property. You can take out that money and you can put it into a property, which is a growing asset, whatever you want to call it, um, and use that money that is rightfully yours. Otherwise, you have to wait until 65, worry about the minimum sum, and then draw down afterwards. Mm. I guess one of the sticking points, correct me here, Reg, because you know, since you, you said some people may not bring up, may not want to use the CPF, is because of the 2.5% interest rate that you may have to pay back once you sell the home. Not may, huh? you definitely have to pay back occurred interest Back into your CPF, yes. Um, actually, I just, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I did see an article this year to state that if you sold your house at market value, you don't need to top up. This was in Straits Times for this year. So we can really? just double check that. But there were a few people okay. that did not top up because they sold at market value and the HDB or whoever it was um, determined it at market value. Interesting. Okay, yeah. okay. So that's number one. That's new. Uh, that was brand new for me because I also, like you, thought, got to pay back. So I think that's a good, that's a good thing to check. For me, the 2.5% is, is irrelevant. And, and here's why. If I'm putting the money back into my CPF after selling this home, I'm probably going to buy something else. At that point in time, if I need to top up the 2.5%, let's just say we have to, I put the money in, but all the money is going back out because I'm buying my next property. So I either put it into CPF that then moves out or I pay cash to that condo developer. So that's, that's where I, I see it with regards to, to CPF. Fair, fair, fair. Now, other, that's a perspective. Other people, the other people may say, and this is the conversation I have with my friends all the time, which is, but 2.5% is a lot of money. If you, put, if you leave your cash in your bank, it's 0.01% or something like this. So I say, yep, completely fair. And if you feel that you cannot make more than 2.5% with the money in your bank account, then put it in the CPF, don't use your CPF, put it in your home. But if you feel you can earn more than 2.5% with the money in your, in your bank account, why give it to CPF? Because you're going to earn more. It's effectively opportunity cost. So those are the two things that always go through my mind. Okay, a lot of investment assumptions here. First and foremost, I think this idea of HDB prices will keep going up. It's not set in stone. Do not assume property prices will keep going up. You can listen to our other episodes to learn more about this. But yes, one thing that we managed to clear up is that indeed, it is not definite that you will experience occurred interest paid back into your CPF when you sell your property. And this is me quoting from the CPF's website. If the selling price after paying your outstanding home loan is not enough to cover the required CPF refund, you do not need to top up the shortfall in cash if you sold the property at market value. In other words, if you never make a profit from your property sale, then you don't need to top up the CPF occurred interest. But there are certain caveats and you should check out the CPF website for this. Also, next episode, the CPF rep Lin will be sharing with us about the common questions asked. So given all the assumption in Rakesh's plan, 
As the leading podcaster and question maestro in the personal finance space, I had to dig for his thoughts. Uh, you're talking about it's a growing asset. Your property prices is a growing asset, right? So what is the what is the assumption in your head? Like what, what how how has property transacted in your area recently? Well, <laughs> I think to this this year and right now when we're recording this is a bit of a black swan event <laughs> with property prices really really going up. Uh, resale went up fifteen percent. Uh, so I think just as a fair note, I just refinanced my house from a HDB loan to a DBS loan. And the value was at four hundred and thirty or four hundred and fifty thousand, and this is before even them coming in to look at my renovation. That's it's really gone up from three seventy five when I bought it in twenty nineteen. That's one thing. Number two is I never looked at this HDB as an asset for me, and and I mean I'm going to make money out of it. I really do not look at it this way. This is a house for me to be happy in. I'm happy to live here. I do what I need to to live here and be happy. That's really it. It's not a financial equation for me. A financial equation for me is my investments. This is not my investment. This is where I live. This is my home. And I will never equate the two because okay. I feel when you do that, you're conflicted. Right. Okay, yeah. cool. T- tell me about your retirement plan then. You know, I mean, you, you have a property <laughs> retirement yes. plan. You know, I mean, you talk about it on the podcast. So yeah, t- tell, tell me a little bit like your view on property as a retirement tool and you know, what is your plan? Wow. Okay. So property as a retirement tool. So I think just as a caveat, as I was doing my startup, I did uh, work for a property agency um, selling houses, but not in Singapore. I was selling overseas houses in Singapore. Let's put it that way. So people that could afford foreign properties, so on and so forth, and looking to buy elsewhere. And that's really where I started to, to learn a bit more about the real estate asset class. And I would say that's my first exposure to it because I don't really learn that in, in school. You learn stocks, options, bonds, what have you, but not really real estate. And one thing that, that I, I realized and one thing that I, I liked about real estate was the fact that it's the only asset class, and, and Reggie, correct me if I'm wrong here, where you don't need to own, you own 20% of this asset, but it's in your name. There's no other asset where you own 20% and it's not in your name. And and for me, that's that's completely, I was like, whoa, we can actually not own an asset, but own an asset. <laughs> and it's in, and you get all the gains. You get all the gains. The bank, when they give you the mortgage, is at a liability. It's, it's an actual liability for you because you don't get any upside with the exception of the interest rate. You get all okay, the upside. They can- they can package into mortgage-backed securities and run it through the financial systems. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is exactly the situation because there was so much mortgages sitting around and it was yes. on their liabilities and it was getting heavy for them. So they decided to package it and sell it out. You know, and voila, welcome to mortgage-backed securities. Yes, yes. So those were the times. <laughs> Good old 2007, good yeah, old 2008. Yeah, crazy, <laughs> crazy times. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I hear you um, on that. Yeah, so that. Mm. for me, that, that was mind-blowing. I've, I've studied finance in uni and, and economics in high school. That never really came across. And I was like, whoa, okay, how can we make this happen? And simple math is this, right? So say you buy a house for $10, 80% loan, you pay $2, you take $8 from the bank. But then the house goes up by... 20%, right? To make it simple, it goes up to $12. $12 minus the eight 
you now have four dollars left. You've now effectively hundred percent your investment. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's how I look at real estate. Okay, coconuts. I'm going to state this very clearly, that I kept this as a negative example. Essentially, what Rakesh is trying to say here is property is one of the commonly accepted asset class that have high levels of leverage. Meaning the initial capital that you fork out is a fraction of the value of the whole asset. Say, for example, you bought a million-dollar condo. You pay $200,000 up front and the rest you service on a mortgage for it. You can be said to have leveraged up and if the condo goes up to about $1.3 million, you sell it after professional fees, legal, agent, what have you, stamp duties, aka your taxes, and the cost of your mortgage. Say you made a profit of $200,000. Based on your principal capital sum of $200,000, yes, you made a 100% profit, which is probably the ideal case everyone is aiming for. But to me, this is being blind to the fact that if your property prices come down, the impact is also a leveraged one. If you made a loss of 200000 you are essentially wiped out of your investments. It also oversimplifies the mortgage cost. Mortgage is tied to central bank interest rates and given different times, mortgages will change, which can have very direct impact on the cost of leverage and affects your investments directly. And I believe Bay has shared a lot with us, which is also why a lot of governments all over the world, they want to dampen property prices, but they don't want it to dip, like a quick dip. They just want to dampen the growth. They don't want it to collapse because a lot of people have a lot of money held in property. And property is a very leveraged asset. But let us not forget that these days, there are more and more financing options in other assets that you can leverage up too. Share financing, margin accounts with even lower rates and mortgage. The financial markets are ever-changing. I want us to recognize that this idea of property being the great investment that it is, is oversimplified. Learn more about what affects property price movements, the cost of transaction, the different tax structures, legality, mortgage accessibility in different property markets. It is complicated. There are different property types, different users, different jurisdictions, different countries, different states. They are all different. Do not assume that it's all the same and do not simplify property investment as the safe and best thing out there. I'm not conveniently smashing property as an investment tool, yeah? I just want to put it out there that there is more than meets the eyes. And agents are incentivized to sell. It may not always be the most thoughtful and insightful for information. But hey, on a lighter note, for the many of us tuning in to learn about home ownership, I think we've covered a lot in this season. I hope you feel more empowered and more confident to make your first property purchase. Remember, a home and a property investment are different. Next episode and also the last prepared episode, I will update you on the latest property measures in Singapore and also plug the whole interview that Andrew did with the team at CPF to give us more clarity on that front. Once again, if you want to grab a listen to all the long-form interviews with all these experts, follow our other podcast, The Financial Coconut Podcast. I will see you next week.